How are we doing everybody? My name is Jeremy and welcome to the J-Curve. The only time is right now. So thank you for using your right now by being here with me. Join me as I interview experts, high performers, and speakers from all walks of life whose mission is to live out their purpose and be the wind beneath people's wings. In each episode, we dive into their stories and discuss methods surrounding healing, wealth creation, and awareness that you can implement today to facilitate change in your life and your loved ones. Plus, we enjoy some laughs and inspiration along the way. Now, let's dive into this episode. Enjoy. As humans, we have no stronger desire than to act in accordance with the way that the way in which we perceive ourselves and in which others perceive us something along those lines. And I think there's like consistency in there. Yes. There's something along those lines, but yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So there's, so that's like kind of like a, a hack here, right? Where it's like, once you do stuff like that, you're putting yourself in a position to where your unconscious mind and such, all your faculties are going to kind of take over and they're going to do their thing because you need to act in congruency with the way that you perceive yourself and you need to act in congruency with the way that others perceive you. Mm. And we try, like, there's a million examples of that, but just look at how, like, superficial most people are or how the masks that they wear like we try so hard to act in congruence with the way we think others perceive us Mm -hmm. and so if you can take control of that um, that can be another pretty beneficial hack there Mm -hmm. and and i love that too man that's such a great quote and i feel like this like really segues into just the addiction to suffering. <laughs> She's like, so, so Love many this people, one. yeah, the addiction to suffering and like self-sabotage and finding yourself in these consistent patterns of regression. And yeah, so many of us have had this challenge or currently have it and then not even realizing it. I remember when I was, um, I, when I was going through my trouble with my, or challenges, I should say, with my ex-fiance. We were, I was really, this is when I really started my personal development journey. When I was really starting to get into Dispenza, to Greg Braden, uh, you know, Bruce Lipton, like all these in philosophy, all this stuff. And I think something that Joe Dispenza once said was being, talking about addiction to adrenaline, being adrenaline junkies. Yes. Talking about yeah. subconsciously putting yourself in position yep. to get into a fight. Yeah. Because you genuinely <laughs> enjoy it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So with us, like we would have like we would be good and then we just have big blowouts, right? Over something that maybe something that I did. Um, and again, I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> like, you know, it doesn't make any sense. It's not adding up. And when then when I read that, I'm like, Oh, interesting. Maybe I'm addicted or I enjoy chaos in my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's been, it's actually really interesting because I, I participated, I'm, I'm coaching and I'm leading a, a cohort of people um, in Austin area here 
And that became very laser apparent as well is my, I actually enjoy a little bit of chaos. And so how that could be detrimental to any sort of change, to any sort of growth. And now it's like, okay, now I'm aware of it. Now we can get ahead of it. And you, I know you talk about this all the time is like reverse engineering, right? So how can we get ahead of like these chaotic um, experiences or uh, occurrences or results um, and again, that goes back to identity too. <laughs> so all of these are like kind of meshing together, but the addiction to suffering piece is, uh, I know that's something that you're like really passionate about and, and educating people about. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's one of the deeper human paradoxes because just like you said, it's like, no one's going to sit here listening to this, like, and go like, yep, I have addiction to suffering. <laughs> It's like the, the the common response because we all have an ego and we all have egoic faculties that keep us safe. The common response is like, I'm not addicted to suffering. Why would why would anyone be addicted to suffering? Why would they want? And it's like, well, that's the beauty of studying the, the unconscious and the subconscious mind. It's not logical. It's not logical. And I think the mistake a lot of people make is thinking that the human experience and that humans are logical because we're just not. We're emotional creatures. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of shit that doesn't make sense. And then we try to make it make sense after. That's what we rationalize it. We try to make rules around it. Here's why that makes sense. Here's why. Here's why we do that. But most of it's just purely emotional a lot of it's amygdala and all of that. So it was your question like why do why do we have it or how to yeah how to cope with it, how to deal with it, how to hopefully yeah, I guess like, where do you want to go with it? Yeah, I guess how to deal with that or and, and a lot of time and again, like I know this has been a recurring theme here is like patterns and awareness. Just being yeah. aware, like, hey, I've I put myself in another position to quote unquote fail again when yeah. things were going well, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. And like really digging deep into that. So how do we dig deep into the why of recurring patterns around self, okay. uh, self sabotage? Yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll speak a little bit on myself. So I think that everyone, well, I know, that everyone is on a spectrum when it comes to conversations like this. So it's not a thing of um, raise your hand if you have addiction to suffering or raise your hand if you've transcended it. It's like, just where are you at in that? And that can also totally oscillate and vary depending on seasons of your life. What I have noticed is that around... 28, 29, I had, you know, I had been doing inner work for so long that, and I had just had another, we, I had just had another kind of level up breakthrough type thing. And the, the more, the longer you're on this path, the more you kind of clean out, you start to clean out the, the big asteroids and over time you start to not really have like too many big issues left, you know, like real self-sabotaging patterns, real self-deprecation, self-hate. Like 
you, you've you've transcended those things. So it's more like you just uh, I guess it's what we call a, a privilege. <laughs> you experience more privilege. Your issues are no longer survival. Your issues are like my my partner's not meeting my deepest basic needs on a daily basis. It's like okay, that's probably a better issue to have than like I don't know where my next meal is coming from, right? So there's this whole spectrum. And I found myself at, you know, 28, 29, starting to become keenly aware of like this addiction to chaos that you're referencing, because I really didn't have much going wrong anymore on a consistent basis, right? Like no major self-sabotage, all that. And it's like, oh, wow. Kind of reflect like, okay, I've come a long way. But what I started to observe is that same thing, like every so often, why am I doing that? It's like, oh, I'm like fucking bored. Mm-hmm. Like life's too good. Life would get too good. And I would do something to just try to introduce a little bit of controlled chaos. And that's literally what drinking used to be for me. That's why that was so hard for me to give up. Because it wasn't about the alcohol. It was like, every aspect of my life is optimized and controlled. And you know what I mean? Like conscious, I'm conscious about it all and I'm intentional and it's, there's no room for chaos. And as Jordan Peterson always talks about, it's like life is the dance between chaos and order. Right. And so, yes, of course, Jack's brings some chaos into my life and I unconsciously enjoy that, but also I would, create my own. So I I just want to share that, that that it's very interesting to kind of come to these own conclusions on your own. And you will, if you are honest with yourself, which there's really no reason not to be, we do do this in in funny ways where it's like, you can't logically explain it, but you're just like, yeah, I just apparently want chaos. And, and to answer, to get to the heart of your question of make it more applicable for your audience is addiction to chaos comes from Growing up with an, I guess what you could say, um, unstable, feeling unstable or unsafe. So um, from my upbringing was, you know, someone who wasn't in, someone who isn't trauma informed, who had my upbringing would say I had the best upbringing. I had a great upbringing, Mm -hmm. but because I'm trauma informed and because I've done a lot of the work and I understand different, you know, generational patterns, X, Y, Z humans needs and different coping styles and personality pattern. Okay. Well, my trauma wasn't, or my upbringing wasn't perfect. Uh, there was uh, a lot of different trauma. And one of the things that I dealt with, not because there was ever any, uh, physical abuse, there was never any, um, we were middle class. We weren't poor, like none of that. But regardless, I grew up not feeling, um, I grew up feeling out of control. I grew up feeling unsafe, um, that type of environment. Now that doesn't mean I lived in the hood. (laughs) Unsafe can mean, you know, to be yourself unsafe. Like you're not, you're not getting your needs met. You're not safe to have needs can mean a lot of different things. And that's where it's like, it's understand. It's important to have the background in what I'm speaking to or else you're just going to totally miss it. But um, I think 
anyone who's resonating with what we're speaking to about uh, addiction to chaos, realize that in your first 10 years of life, you, I'd say 80, 90% of who you are today was dictated by your first 10 years of life. Mm -hmm. And if in that time you routinely experienced a home life or an upbringing or a school life or whatever, but just more on a consistent basis, you didn't feel um, in control. It felt, it felt chaotic. It didn't feel safe as fucked up as this is. You're familiar with that feeling. Mm-hmm. And we will choose familiarity. Let me rephrase. We will choose fucked up familiarity over healthy, peaceful unfamiliarity. And the best example I can give you is why do domestic abuse victims continue to put up with it? Because the fear of the unknown is scarier to them than continuing to get beat because it's at least it's familiar. Mm. And that is mind blowing to me. And I've never experienced that, but I have studied it and it makes perfect sense to me based on what I know experientially now of trauma and how it all works. And it ties into what Joe Dispenza was saying there that you referenced as well, which is, which is a total bar and it's not only emotional, but it's also biological and physiological and neurochemical. There is a chemical cascade that gets released when certain experiences happen. And every single time, just like I was talking about rewiring your brain, every single time on the negative side of that, that you go through those unsafe negative experiences that forms a new neural pathway and you get familiarized into that. And so if you had an upbringing of that, right, not being able to have emotions or constantly getting yelled at or having to dim yourself or not being able to be who you actually were or just not feeling safe or what any host of, you know, common things that a lot of us have dealt with, well, by the time you get to adulthood, it's like, well, that pathway is pretty fucking ingrained. Like you've probably felt that cascade 500, 1,000, 2,000 times. It's pretty natural to default back to it. It feels familiar. So life starts to get a little stressful. You start to feel a little out of control. Before you know it, you're doing some behavior that produces that chemical cascade and the behavior doesn't matter at all. And the behavior could be super fucking random behavior. Like why the hell am I doing this? The behavior doesn't matter underneath it. You're, you're searching for like a, it's almost like you need like a binky, but it's like a chemical cascade to cope and to soothe you that we're not, we can't see the chemical cascade, but what we're searching for is a feeling. And, um, that's just super interesting to kind of get into. And it's something that we all do. And yet again, on point with the conversation around 
you know, the unconscious mind and why it's such an important pursuit to really be intentional as you age, you know, year after year of making the unconscious conscious. The more of your unconscious you can bring into conscious awareness, the more, the better life you're going to have point blank period. Mm-hmm. Less of a victim. You're not a victim anymore. You're not like, why is this all happening to me? And you just blame things outside yourself. You realize, wow, creating my own suffering Mm, mm -hmm. yeah and something that you touched on just there was you know the first 10 years of your life and i think plato once said that give me give me a boy from ages give me a child from ages one to seven and i'll show you the man or woman and how much and the, the, the key ingredient right that you were talking about the key experience that we're looking to feel is safety so only in this quote-unquote safe environment can you truly achieve healing yep but on the flip side of that is like you will go to the messed up safety instead of the uncomfortable unknown like quote-unquote good right you'll default to that to that quote unquote negative if you're not trauma informed and the, the 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 trauma stuff is something that I'm deeply into right now um with somatic healing you know trauma stored in the body so only through the body can we release this trauma and the safety place is so so key the safety point is so so key and a great illustration of how we can create that safe environment for ourselves because a lot of times we look for other people for safety, right? And a great illustration is just imagining like making a a really tight fist, right? Really tight fist and you're trying to pry it open, right? You're trying to pry open this fist, right? You're trying to make this change. You're trying to, there's a lot of resistance going on. You're struggling. You might even get a little angry. And then approaching that instead of, what if we just held the fist? how different that feels. Can you create the safety for yourself? So getting that, and again, rewiring yourself to say, hey, I am safe. I am safe here. I'm safe here. My feet are on the ground, right? And I know we've talked about this many times, the unconscious, bringing that unconscious out is like, we're talking about decades of information, decades of paving these neural pathways, paving these paving and repaving those neural pathways right the same ones and something um that most people don't know is that you know right when you wake up and right before you go to bed that's when the veil between subconscious and conscious is at its thinnest so those moments right before you slip into sleep and those moments right after you wake up are such important parts of your day to start creating and rewiring, creating change and rewiring your brain. So that's why like a lot of people will pray right before they go to bed, or maybe they'll read something or some do, do some sort of devotional, or maybe even do some affirmations or meditation. We're rewiring our brain. And there's, there's a tons of studies and you know, this as well too, is like the more you, the more you're told something, the more likely that you're going to believe it. Over, your, we're being just bombarded with information, and eventually our brains just say, "Oh, that must be true." Mm-hmm. So we could take the flip side of that. We could flip that, flip the script, and say, "Okay, if I'll if if something 
can be can bombard my brain so much that I believe it. Okay, I could do the same thing. That's why affirmations are so powerful. That's why prayer is so powerful. That's why, um, again, peaking, changing your into a peak state is so powerful because you could change the narrative. Hundred percent. Yeah, those are all those are all things that have played such an important role in my life and. You know, reflecting back over the last decade, um, I'd say, you know, 80% or more of the mornings I wake up, it's a, a commitment and a, and a reverence for, you know, a, a rising routine and prioritizing yourself first. And um, same thing lasts before bed. And it's nice that the science has finally caught up to things that people have inherently known for thousands of years. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. A hundred percent. And the rising routine, the nighttime routine, it's interesting. Now through my, one of my mentors and business partners and uh, one of my teachers in the somatic and spiritual space talked about this often. And that is, the the importance of having that everyone knows it's important to have routines in the morning or like it's something that you should consider even if it's like two things it could be breathing for five minutes you know it doesn't really matter whatever it is whatever's aligned for you but what she illustrated for me which i found was super interesting was thinking about the nighttime routine and just picturing yourself as a baby when if you are just like watching tv getting activated with like looking at your phone moments before you go to bed like maybe you're out drinking alcohol or you're slamming food and then you go to bed immediately that's that's trauma you're going you're going to bed in a traumatic state and what do i mean by that if we think of ourselves as a baby or think of rocking a baby to sleep that's the equivalent of just like giving someone giving a baby like a uh I, what would be a good example? Like every baby has, you, you rock them to bed. That's my point. So by having a, a nighttime routine, you're rocking yourself to sleep. You're preparing your body to go to sleep rather than going from X to Z, going from A to Z just by watching something, something very stimulating and then going to bed. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. I yeah. haven't heard it explained that way, but it's basically just, um, super important to not be in a fight or flight sympathetic state while you're trying to wind down to bed. And, um, like you said earlier, like healing requires us to feel safe, right? We can't heal when we're in like the fight or flight nervous system, go, go, go. And a lot of people are in that right up until they go to bed. And so it's like, sure you're sleeping, but like, your body is supposed to be doing its deepest healing. And that's not just like biologically, it's also like processing trauma and emotions and memories and cleaning out your brain and rewiring neurons and killing off old cells. And it's doing all sorts of shit. And, um, you know, when you're going in, when you're going to bed in a dopamine charged state, um, a bit more of a stimulated state, you're not getting nearly the same uh, benefit. So these things all work synergistically. 
Yeah, man. So here's here's a, a tip for all the listeners out there to uh, maybe start rocking yourself to sleep at night, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all so much for tuning in for part two of the Jay Griff three-part series. The next episode, we are talking about sovereignty. We are diving in all the way in, down the rabbit hole, talking about sovereignty, the United States Corporation. We talked the matrix. It's a doozy of an episode, so you're not going to want to miss a minute of that. So tune into that next week. If you found this episode supportive, please leave a five-star review and share it with a friend. Intro and outro music by Bureaucratic. You can check out the link in the description box so you can support him. And once again... The only time is right now. So thank you for using your right now by being here with me and Jay Griff. Drive safe.